friends, today it is my honor to be joined by the pride and joy of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Father James Martin. How are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, first time I've been introduced that way, but I, I accept that. It's great to be with you all. I really enjoy being on your podcast. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy having you back. I, I am looking forward to the next time I'm in Philadelphia and seeing the Rocky statue and then the Father Jim statue. <laughs> yeah, right. The uh, the shrine. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> you will look uh, long and hard and you will not find anything. So, But the Rocky uh, statue, um, are you a Rocky fan? Are you a big fan of the Rocky movies? Uh, you know. A little before I, your time, right? Like, I. But I was born in Philadelphia, and so everyone right. loved, loved Rocky, and so yeah. that was there. And so I still like, I still appreciate it. And everyone loves a boxing movie, so I'm so, like, I'm not antagonistic towards mm-hmm. it. But that's good. Like, I don't have a tattoo or something like you probably do. Well, you know, when that statue was erected on the uh, steps of the art museum, there was a lot of pushback because you know it's like, oh, what the heck? This is a movie statue, and now it's one of the most visited places in Philly. You know, yeah, people love yeah, Rocky. Because at first, yeah, we don't want to say like this is the best art we've got, exactly. but in hindsight. Right. That's right. But like, there's still like, it's still around. There's like a dozen movies probably at this point. Yeah. Well, also these Creed, the Creed movies that have come out, which are pretty good, actually. Yeah. So the first one is pretty good. I was surprised. But um, anyway, so Creed, we we can, we can, we can seg from Creed into the Apostles Creed. Oh, I see what you did there. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to move there though. Are you a boxing fan at all? Like, are you a, you know, not really. I mean, I don't, I understand it, but I, I do find it, I find it, you know, very, uh, you know, powerful and it's interesting. And Muhammad Ali, and I do find yeah. it a little bloody for my taste. I mean, it's a little violent, and I have a hard time just. I've never been to an actual boxing match. I'm not yeah. against it, but it's just it's a little hard for me to stomach sometimes seeing some guy punched in the nose. You know, yeah. if I want that, right. I could I could go up. You know, I could go out on the street in New York and I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the thing about like why do you watch NASCAR? I can just go on the highway. Like, I see cars going fast <laughs> right. all, all the time. There. I mean, I think I prefer NASCAR over boxing because it's not sort of inherently violent, right? Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do find, um, and you know, maybe your listeners, I don't know much about it, but I do find you know race car driving interesting, and you know, I mean, what, how fast are they going, and the yeah, skill right. and all that. Uh, I think that you know, it's not it's not as bloody, and they don't certainly want people to get hurt. You know, mm-hmm. so anyway. yeah, we're all rooting against people dying. And right. Hurt. Right. I feel like that's well with, you know, the martial arts. I think that's kind of part of it. So, yeah, that's fair. Um, OK, I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday mm-hmm. who has the same last name as you, Blaine Martin. I don't think there's any relation. You never know. In California. You never know. And he's an accountant. Mm-hmm. And so I just got to start everything talking about that. Uh, I know you have business school background mm-hmm. and all that. So, you you know, you're you kind of know those people. Mm-hmm. But I, I told him as I, he said, "Hey, what's coming up on the podcast?" And I said, "Well, you know, Father Jim's coming back on." And uh, I said, "Crazy enough, he just got back from the Vatican. He was meeting with the Pope, and he had a litany of accountant questions about <laughs> the trip to Rome." Yeah, sure. So he was wondering, like, when it gets booked. Uh, he said, he, "Again, he knows nothing sure. about the Catholic yeah, Church. Okay. He's, he's a Church of Christ guy like yeah. me." And he goes, "Do they like have places to stay?" In the Vatican, it's like I'm pretty sure that they've they've got some places. No, to stay it's out a there. it's a good question. So, uh, as as your listeners know by now, um, I'm a member of a Catholic religious order called the Jesuits. Right? It's like mm-hmm. the Franciscans, or the Dominicans, or the Benedictines, and we have a headquarters in Rome, like most religious orders, and that's where I stay. It's called mm-hmm. I don't quite know where this comes from. It's called the Curia. I don't. I'm sure that's some Latin root or whatever, but it's basically the headquarters, and it's right. It's about. It's it's like a two-minute walk from St. Peter's Square. So when we go up on our rooftop, we see there's St. Peter's Basilica. So I stay with the other Jesuits, basically, when I'm there. That, that's where I stay. But, but okay, there, is, so- there are kind of places 
for visiting priests to stay in the Vatican um, and visiting lay people too. So there are some of those, but I stay with my Jesuit brothers. Do they have anything for visiting Church of Christ preachers? Well, you know, you're always welcome. Um, but there's, there's yeah, actually, you know, there, there's places for lay people and Protestants and all okay. sorts of people to stay. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't get like, oh, he's, he's one of them. No, they you don't. Know, still no, bitter about 500 not, years ago. No, they're like, not, they're not bitter. Just have to leave? They're not bitter yeah. about that. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. We, we had a, uh, <laughs> this is really funny talking to a Catholic, but our church had a 50th anniversary. Um, well, you know, it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's good for us, but it was funny because there were some people who left uh, the church for various reasons mm-hmm. that came back for it. And I was like, this is probably like a Protestant going to visit a Catholic church. It's like, Hey, yeah, we left. Other than they're coming back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, the, the, we were talking before there, there are pluses and minuses about being a new church and being an old church. Right. I mean, yeah. so, but we're all centered on Jesus. So yeah, we get Jesus. Yeah. That's, that's a centerpiece. That's right. Now I know you can't talk about what you and the Pope talked right. about, but would you mention, because every time I feel like you're on the podcast, somehow the Pope gets brought up because multiple times, <laughs> like, like, uh, I was in New York, we did a podcast a couple years ago oh, yeah. and you just gotten a letter from the Pope. Mm-hmm. And then a couple times ago when we talked, you had just gotten back from visiting the Pope then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up talking about the Pope a lot. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I mean, maybe he, I, I'm just saying like, if you and I, if, if when you were talking to the Pope, if he mentioned me. Would you tell me? Like, could you say that at least? That's right. I'd have to kill you afterwards, though. Okay. Um, but, yeah. you know, I can say, it is funny. I just so your listeners realize <laughs> that I'm not always meeting with the Pope. It's only been twice, and, uh, and I don't always get letters from him. But, uh, you know, so by tradition, um, you don't, you know, it's not some big secret. You don't talk about it just because you, you're, it's private and you can talk more freely. So I think mm-hmm. he would be, we talked about LGBT um, Catholics and LGBT people because that's part of the ministry that I do. Um, but I think the idea is, you know, he, he doesn't want to be kind of quoted, you know what I mean? So it's not like a, it's not like an official interview that's coming out. Um, so you can just kind of chat and I can say, you know, it was, he was very warm, uh, funny. Um, he's mm-hmm. completely with it, uh, mm-hmm. in a way that I think sometimes doesn't come across on TV or if you see him in pictures and really warm. And I felt really comfortable with him. This is only the second time I've had a long meeting with him and I felt totally comfortable. It, honestly, it was like, t- it's like talking to you, except, you know, if you're wearing a, you know, white habit and a gold chain around your neck, really comfortable, friendly. We were speaking in Spanish through an interpreter. I don't speak mm-hmm. Spanish very well. And we talked for about 45 minutes. Um, and it was, it was great. I really, I mean, you know, it's a big deal for me. This is not like I'm, I've only had this happen twice. And so it's a big deal. Uh, and it's also kind of, it, it's fun. It's fun. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that is pretty special. Um, you know, there, there are a few highlights that I've got to experience on the podcast. Uh, the first time Tom Wright referred to me as one of his friends, wow. that was pretty special. And then when you just said talking to you is like talking to the Pope, I'm going to take that as a statement about just like the spiritual aura that I've that That you, you bring as well. But, but, you know, look, yeah. you're, you're both... You're both ministers of Christ. I mean, you're both, uh, you're laughing, but you're, you're, you're different. You're, he's a little older than you are, too. Yeah. His uh, Spanish is better than mine. Uh, his Spanish is definitely better than mine, too. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, in pretty, I'm pretty impressed by the Tom Wright thing. I mean, he, he's another one of my heroes. He is, boy. I mean, we were talking about a Bible Tom commentaries before we started, and uh, yeah. I, I just think everything he writes is, is worthwhile reading. I mean, it's real. Did you know, so, also, he's on Instagram now. Have you seen that? He's on Instagram. He has an Instagram uh, account uh, where he has these kind of quick little videos. It's pretty impressive. Really? Yeah, it's really good. He's so 
he's such a great communicator and uh yeah i'm a big fan so yeah yeah once I was doing something uh, at Pepperdine University, which mm-hmm. is a school te- connected to the Churches of Christ, mm-hmm. and Tom Wright was the big like guest for the event, mm-hmm. and so he flew out there. Obviously, it's like you know eight time zones different from right. where he's from, right. and we end up doing this live event at midnight California time, which is like seven in the morning his time probably, and. We're there, 100 people, Pacific Ocean's right behind us. And I was told I'm just going to be up there with a bunch of other people. I'm not running it. And lo and behold, at one point, like everyone's gone. And so I'm just winging it, talking to Tom Wright. And I asked him how he he felt about something. And he goes, that's the wrong question. Who cares how I felt? What do I think about it? And I was like, okay, that's cool. Interesting. Well, that's, a, that's a real scholar, too. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, you're, you're smarter. Than that. So that was... <laughs> no, wait, my question is, why are you doing an event at 12 at night? I, you know, I have a friend who was trying to put something together for someone else's book release and you know how you get suckered into doing yes, things for I your do. friends, yeah. kind of like this podcast no, right stop. here. But no, was it like, was it a public event that you were doing at 12 at night or? It was, it was like a hundred people wow. uh, at this cool venue. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. It, it was way past my bedtime, but. Um, I'm also impressed yeah. you call him Tom Wright instead of, you know, Bishop Wright or whatever he is, you know, because he is well, a bishop, right? He is. Yeah. yeah I've. Uh, I, I, I call I that when I start the conversation. No, I know. Just, my friends like you. That's you know, great. Like, yeah, no, he's he's pretty laid back, which is exactly what you want. And it sounds like that's been your experience with the Pope as well. Where uh, he's a person, who's absolutely very human, absolutely very relaxed, very funny, very warm, charming. Lots of jokes. Um, you know, I said to him, I can say to him, I can say this. You know, I said, "How's your knee?" Because that's been giving a lot of problems. And he said, "Oh," and he just patted on it and said, "I'm fine." Mm. So just a. I, I think you you know this, and you've had this experience. I think when you're in the presence of someone holy, and not just not just someone who's ordained or a pope or a bishop or whatever, but yeah. you know, holy people, you can really tell. There's this kind of centeredness to them, yeah. and so that's what I feel when I'm with him. Yeah, I had one of uh, like one of my college professors, who's like a mentor to many of mm-hmm. us, uh, kind of my age group preachers in my tradition. I got to bring him and a group of other uh, preachers my age to uh, have a morning with Richard Rohr out oh, in Albuquerque. It's amazing. And after we left, I was like talking to my mentor. I was like, hey, Randy, what, what did you think? And he goes, I can clearly tell that Rohr is a person of prayer. Yeah. You can just tell like these people have encountered something transcendent and affects how they, how they live and who they are. It does. It affects how they live. It affects how they treat people, I think. Uh, and there is a certain stillness, I find. You know, not, not that they're just, you know, kind of like taciturn or something, but there's a kind of inner stillness that's sort of hard to put your finger on. I'll tell you, I think I may have told this story last time, um, so you can edit it out. Um, the first time I met Richard Rohr, uh, it was at an author's event, and I was just starting out writing, and I, you know, he didn't know me, and uh, I met this Richard Rohr, and I thought, oh, he was going to be kind of full of himself, and he was the most humble person. And I just thought, boy, this guy really walks the walk, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's the old adage, like, don't ever meet your heroes. Yeah. And I've been very grateful. Like the podcast, I've got to meet a lot of people that mm. I've looked up to and read, yourself included. Thank you. And I've never been disappointed. Uh, maybe one, maybe one time, <laughs> but after 500 plus episodes, it's like, it, that's not the case. And that really is a, a gift to me. Well, then, I don't think everyone. That's has great. Uh, me too. Uh, the only person I met, not, not exactly disappointed, but I met a person who will remain nameless, who had, who had written all these books on, on, let me just say, on centering prayer. Okay, he okay. read all these books in Sanford, and he was the most scattered person I had ever met. I thought, oh my gosh, this guy, you need to read yeah. some of your books. But you're right. I, I, for the most part, 
I, I meet these people and they're just really, um, they're human and they're interesting. And I think that for me, the, the, the tip off is they're really interested in other people. They're really just interested in who you are, what you're doing, and it's not all about them. And I just find that really refreshing and beautiful. Yep. Yeah. When I started the podcast, part of it, like the subtext, and I'm, I didn't really talk about it at the time, but like I was going through deconstruction. I was mm-hmm. early 30s and, you know, as a pastor, but like faith had become far more complex than I ever imagined mm-hmm. it to be. And part of what I was trying to do is like trying to get in the room with people whose work from a distance had helped me mm-hmm. make sense of faith. And I think part of the reason that it was such a salvific experience, like to, mm-hmm. in a small S word, mm-hmm. um, to, to be around so many of these voices for Christianity has been what you just described, like people who are genuine, who love, who display the fruit of the Spirit in their life, that it, it it's borne out in the way that they aren't just, I can tell you about it, but I can live it in the way that I treat other people. Yeah. That's, that, and I mean, you know, as Jesus says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, right, gets into heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's people who really put, put into, into action what he's talking about. And I feel that too. And, you know, we've had this conversation before across, that's across denominations, yeah. you know? So, I mean, holy Protestants and holy Jews and, uh, you know, just, just, it's, it's, it's really, it's about it. You're right. It's about an encounter with God. Um, but it does, I think it is palpable. I think, I think you can really tell. And then again, that's, that's, you know, that's lay people too. That's, you know, a mother or a grandmother, you know, you can just tell. Uh, and it's really, it's very moving. And sometimes I am brought up short by, People who are in, who are lay people who I'm supposed to be the professional holy guy and they're holier than I am, you know. And it's like, wow, I guess I should I need to pay attention, you know. Yeah, one of my uh, friends, uh, Josh Gray's in Nashville, has this joke where he goes to, to his congregation in Nashville. You know, seventy percent of you are better Christians than me. Mm. The other thirty percent are job security. Right? That's <laughs> that's why I still get paid. Is the other thirty, but seventy percent of you are better. Better Christians than well, definitely you know, the, in the Catholic Church, we had the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, which was this big grand meeting of all these uh, church leaders and bishops. And one of the things that came out of that, which I think is beautiful, um, and we were talking about our, our two churches, our two traditions, uh, is the universal call to holiness. And before that, it was basically holiness was reserved more or less for popes and cardinals and bishops and saints and blah, blah, blah. And I've always loved that that image, the universal call to holiness. We're all called mm-hmm. to be holy in our own, in our, in the, in the different ways that God has made us. And, you know, and so when you meet someone who's holy in their own way, if they're a grandmother or an accountant, you know, as you were yeah. saying, then it's, it's very moving. It's, it's really, it's really transforming. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. And Amen. I think that's the beauty of like what Peter writes about, like the, the priesthood of all believers, mm-hmm. where the sense like that, we all have this call to be ministers of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. We all have, our way of doing it. And some of us do it, uh, you know, Sunday morning where we, you know, share the sacraments and open mm-hmm. the word, but others do it in the way that they open up their life and, and share their life with other people. And it's, that's uh, a great way. That's a, that's a great insight. That's a really nice way of putting it, opening up the word versus opening up your life to other people. Yeah. And I, I always say to people, look, you mean in the Catholic tradition, who is more holy mother Teresa or the mother of, you know, 10 kids, you know, that's a toss up. And I, I think they're both holy in their own way. Right. And I, I think one of the difficulties is that so many people say, oh, I'm not like, you know, like Pastor Luke, or I'm not like N.T. Wright, or I'm not like the Pope. And it's like, well, you're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be holy in your own way. And that that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, that's also going to be a highlight where it's me, Tom, and the Pope. That's right. Yeah. That, you you, you first. 
You, <laughs> that's terrifying. In that order, absolutely... in order. Do, do you ever feel this? I, sometimes I'm terrified of going. There are kids who are growing up in my church who they think a preacher is me. Like this is what they think a preacher is always going to be like, and that kind of terrifies me. Well, look, I mean, you know, you could they could do a lot worse. I would say. <laughs> no, I, I guess yeah. The... I I think there is a kind of a high bar though. You do feel that you know you are you are speaking. I mean. For you, it's like, this is what a preacher is going to be. Sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm speaking, quote, the whole Catholic Church. And that's not true. You know, I'm not like the spokesperson. And, and you know, nor am I speaking for Jesus. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a heavy responsibility. But, um, yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do a good job. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully one of the things that uh, we're doing a good job is this upcoming Sunday is that we begin the Advent season. Yes. And... This is something that, you know, my tradition hasn't really leaned into mm, the Christian calendar. That's not something that uh, we've typically mm-hmm. done. It's, there's a lot of, we don't have to get in the back. That's okay. We, um, we're, we're growing in that direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I found, is especially moving from someone who's a Protestant who mm-hmm. hasn't really respected the uh, Christian calendar, is finding a way that, like, this rhythm is actually very life-giving. Oh, totally. And it, it gives something beyond just the, hey, it's shopping season right. or it's kids are out of school season, but there is like, there is something special about this time. And for you, as you're like introducing this subject to someone who's maybe new to the church, new to mm-hmm. um, uh, the religious life of Jesus, mm-hmm. how do you explain the Advent season to uh, a beginner? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's, I would say it's similar to Lent in that Lent is the season of preparation before Easter. Advent is the season of preparation before Christmas. And the readings um, that we use, um, and that I think a lot of uh, churches use, you know, are often readings from the book of Isaiah, the prophetic readings about, you know, paradise and, and the coming of the reign of God. Uh, and so they're beautiful readings. In fact, I was just mm-hmm. looking at some of them. Um, you know, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Uh, you know, a, a, a sprout shall come from the stump of Jesse. Um, you know, the desert blooming. They're these beautiful readings. I think some of the best readings of the whole liturgical year, what we call the liturgical year. Uh, and then, of course, um, the gospel readings are the readings, um, you know, kind of announcing the the coming of Christ. And so a lot of it is about um, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist coming. So you have these two strains of the readings uh, that prepare you. It is It is just a, I think what I like most about Advent is that um, it has more or less, not completely, resisted the commercialism of Christmas. Uh, and, you know, we all know Christmas is super commercial. Now, I just saw an ad in the New York Times for like these deluxe advent calendars with like, you know, jewels and was kind of disgusting. Um, so advent hasn't completely resisted commercialization. God help us. God help us is right. But, um, but for the most part, it's a very quiet season. Um, it is a season where you are focused on the coming of Christ. You know, we say in, in several ways, so coming to Christ has already come into history, but the coming of Christ kind of, um, into our lives into a new way Mm -hmm. that the coming of Christ, um, you know, which we remember is coming into, uh, you know, becoming human in Bethlehem, but also the second coming of Christ. So we're, it's this kind of season of, of waiting. And a, a friend of mine said, Advent is a season of desire, which I thought was really yeah. beautiful, the desire for Christ. So you can focus on that and focus on the readings that are so beautiful and focus on this desire for Christ in your own life and truly not have to get sucked into the craziness of Christmas. So I, Advent really is my favorite liturgical time of year. Hmm. I, I've leaned more into Lent, maybe the repentance thing. Hmm, maybe it's interesting. I repent more, or maybe I'm more aware of my need to repent. But in, I don't need you to 
to uh, do any psychoanalysis that's right. on that's that right. one. Um, but uh, the the layer of Advent that has come alive to me in the last couple of years is the idea of not just remembering the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but that we are anticipating the next arrival. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it's easier for me to like remember back, but this this new layer has been very like revelatory for me to go, wait, we are also anticipating that Jesus is going to arrive again. Yeah. And that hope and the waiting part doesn't seem to come very intuitively for Americans. And maybe it's not just Americans, but especially us, the idea of like waiting, everything's so immediate. Yeah, we don't like to wait. Instant gratification, yeah. No, I mean, in the, in the church, in the Catholic church, I don't know if you have this expression, we say Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That's one of the kind of concluding parts of the of the liturgy. Um, yeah, and I don't. I think when people think of the coming of Christ, they think of you know the the apocalypse and the, this and that and the end of the world, and it can be frightening for people. But you know, Christ can come for us. I mean, you know, we don't know. There's could you know, God forbid, get hit by a car tomorrow, so Christ could come into our lives. We would meet Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that way. It's funny, Luke. I, I focus on kind of the, the second thing more, which is Christ coming into our lives in a new way in Advent. So, mm-hmm. in, in other words. So, so that how can I, how can Christ come into my heart in a new way? So Advent's always this kind of, for me, season of renewal. But, but you know, mm-hmm. it's funny you should say that about repentance because there is a little bit about that in Advent because you know it's a lot of John the Baptist and you know he was yeah. he was pretty big on repentance. He's after, it. Yeah. He's after that. So um, yeah, so I'm focused more on the coming of Christ. How how can Christ come into my life in a new way this Advent? Mm-hmm. I, I really do. It is my favorite time of the year, liturgically. Yeah. I, I want to get back to desires in sure. a second, but I, I want to first park here for a second. Christ coming into my heart. Yeah. Can you make make that very accessible to someone who's like, okay, I don't really even know what yeah. that means. So so basically, can you notice ways that uh, that God is inviting you to encounter God in a new way, yeah, basically? So are there places in your life where you can be more open to God's presence in your life? You know, or whatever that means, in your family, in your friends, in nature, and at work, right? Maybe reading more, you know, something like reading more Richard Rohr or N.T. Wright or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where is God inviting you to meet him in a new way? So that's what I mean about, and, you know, I think, you know, we always have to be open to that, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so Advent's a good time to open ourselves up to, again, this this particular kind of coming of Christ into our lives. Yeah, that's good. I, how can we be available to the ways in which God wants to meet you that are new and fresh, and there mm-hmm. are ways that God is going to try to be there in your life that you have the opportunity to make room in the end for totally. Jesus or not. And yeah, I think that's totally. That's and you know, I, I heard a homily once where it's like, your heart is like an inn, and is there room? Is there room in the inn for yeah. for, for Christ, or is it all crowded out with other stuff? You know, like there's no room there, and He's turned away, um, which is another way of looking at it. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good Protestant sermon yeah, right there. Thank you Is very much. You can quote me. If not, please come forward while we stand and sing <laughs> yeah, and repent. Right. You, guys, you, you guys don't do altar calls like that. You need to think about those. We those do not. Now, I've always, altar call, tell me what an altar call is, because I've heard it, it, it you, you yeah. come up and you say, you're. is it that you're ready to, to kind of declare for Christ? Yeah. Well, so I, I'm from the Churches of Christ, right. but I, I've done some stuff with the Baptist churches, right. uh, especially when I was younger, and the Baptist churches were, were way more into these... Um, it's kind of like if you feel there's like three options. It's like if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, right. they would do that. Um, they would say if you uh, 
like need to come up and confess something at the mm-hmm. altar, do that. Or there's also the, uh, if you've been called to ministry, this was a lot with like college students, I guess. Um, and so it was kind of like the smorgasbord of, if you need to do something, if you felt God in your life, then you need to come up here. And I think the best take on it was trying to make a real practical line in the sand. Hey, something happened here. We want to demarcate. I encountered God. The worst part is that you had like, speakers who manipulate crowds because then they could say hey we had 200 altar calls so clearly i did a great job so book me next year yeah. so can. it's about so it's about it becomes more about like like numbers and stuff but that's interesting i thought it was more that's thank you for explaining that i thought it was more about the first always like you're 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 kind of making this life-changing decision um but it could yeah. be it could be something that's kind of going on in your life as well um I, I think you describe what normally it's supposed to be yeah it's like this is the first time but you you kind of want to open up the mm-hmm the options so that more people can come. Now, if you're doing that, let me ask you a practical question. Sure. If you're doing a service and, and do you, do you invite people to come up? Because I would imagine people couldn't just stand up. Otherwise it would sort of just distract from the service. Like you say, are there any people that want to do that or. Well, what we do now, like that, that was kind of more Baptist. Uh-huh. What, what we do in my tradition is we'll say we have the, the lay the lay leaders, our elders right. um, and their spouses in the back mm-hmm. of the room. And so we like the room's, Mm-hmm. it's not a small room. And mm-hmm. so coming up, up front could be pretty intimidating. I see. And so we say we have them in the back and the, the, the stairway, the, mm-hmm. like kind of the exit areas. If you mm-hmm. want to go talk to someone back there, um, we're going to worship in song. And so if you want to go and talk to someone uh, and we kind of leave it pretty open ended like that. See, that's what the not... Protestant church has over the Catholic church, which is this, uh, the, the, I think a more active ministry of lay people, frankly, because mm-hmm. in the Catholic church would be like, well, I'll give you an example of something I saw just last Sunday. So right. we received, uh, we, we get the Eucharist every Sunday, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like so we, you pardon me? We do the same. Yeah, thing. yeah. So, yeah. so we go up in a line, right? I don't know if you pass it around, but we go up in a line. And yeah. um, so the priest, you know, at the Mass consecrates the Eucharist, and then he gives it out along with what we call Eucharistic ministers, so lay people who give up the Eucharist. So mm-hmm. I was going up, I was in the pews last Sunday, and I was going up, and this woman was kind of, um, she was in front of me in the pew, and she was standing there kind of like like waiting. And I was like, what's going on? Well, she was waiting to get into the other line. Like, so there's a yeah. right line, a left line. Why? Yeah, yeah. Because she wanted to get it from the priest. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, f- you know, it's the same Eucharist, <laughs> you know? And it's, but there's that, there's that kind of thing in Catholic land that, um, you know, it doesn't count if you don't get it from the priest. And I think that is something that we are lagging behind Protestants on, the lay, lay ministry, you know, which is really mm-hmm. important. So it's that's a beautiful thing to hear that you would go to a lay person who might yeah. understand you better, you know, in terms of your altar call. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah maybe so. We, we have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, uh, we have a couple different options for how we uh, uh, receive the sacraments mm-hmm. and uh, during COVID, we've had like these well, I'm sure, things, yeah. which just the op- but uh, occasionally we'll have tables around the room where mm-hmm. people can go to different lay people mm-hmm. and, and different ones will say body of Christ broken for you, mm-hmm. blood of Christ shed for you. And there was a uh, sweet sister in Christ who passed away about a year and a half ago. And she was, uh, she was in her eighties and uh, she came from, I forget what other tradition. I felt like she was influenced by like maybe the Episcopalians or something. Mm-hmm. But um, when she had the opportunity to serve the sacraments, she would cry every time. Wow. She would say the body of Christ broken for you. And so I would always like try to get in her line just because like the power of wow. how significant she knew this moment to be. There's a, you know, it's funny. You remind me. I can't remember who said this. 
it might have been C.S. Lewis, it might have been Thomas Merton, it might have been Chesterton, but there's a line where it says, you know, particularly for Catholics, it can become kind of rote, you go up, body of Christ, amen, body of Christ, amen. And the line is something like, how many of us have the hairs on the back of our neck stand up because we are about to receive our Lord and Savior? And so I think there's a, you know, that's a beautiful story. I mean, to to sort of be reminded that even though we're privileged to do this every Sunday, for me every day, I go to the Mass every day, um, that it's a that's a privilege. When when you know during COVID, uh, we have Mass in my Jesuit community every day, so all the Jesuit priests gather, and um, there were people who weren't able to go to Mass, and I realized really this is I think the first time that I thought how lucky I am, you know, to be how, how lucky I was to be able to do that, you know. Um, and there are stories that people, you know, like martyrs who, you know, couldn't get it and were killed because they were celebrating mass. And anyway, so it's it, it's it's beautiful that it's it's daily or it's weekly for people. But it's also, I think, important to remember, like, what it is we're receiving. Yeah, because it's easy just kind of go through the motions. Yeah, kind of, no well, and as with as with everything, you know, in the religious yeah. life and, and not to say, you know, sometimes when I pray, I'm like slumped down in my chair or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I. <laughs> I'm with God now. I should be a little more attentive. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sit up straight and yeah. Put a little respect in the name, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you're doing something that's not just the ordinary. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a struggle for what like you and I do. And I think that's why you had those Old Testament texts about the prophets uh, speaking so harshly against priests because mm-hmm. this, the, the sacred just becomes the normal and yeah. you lose the significance of what you're doing and, when you open up scripture and these are the words of, of God who became a person. I mean, these, it, it's uh, easy to just, this is what you just do. I, I have a little bit of a, um, what, not a, a bugaboo or kind of a pet peeve when people rush through reading the scriptures, you know, uh, there was a young Jesuit recently who was, you know, a lovely guy, very prayerful. And he was racing through the, the gospel reading. And I just said, can I give you some advice? And he says, yeah, it was, it was very gentle. I said, you know, like, first of all, not everybody's going to know what you're reading. Like, not everybody knows exactly what these words are, right? I mean, especially mm-hmm. Catholics, unlike Protestants who know the Bible better. <laughs> but also, I said, like, these are the words of, these are, <laughs> these are the words of God. It, it, it's okay to kind of pause and go slowly and really reverence them, you know? Um, so, I mean, I'm sure you have that problem in your church, too. People sort of speed through those readings, you know? Well, I mean, sometimes I do that. Yeah, so I think that's I just a good reminder. Just go, all right. Slow, slow I'll, down I'll tell you a funny time. story. We have uh, read, readers. They're called lectors in our church. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a woman. This is a funny story. So it was a reading about Elijah and Elisha, or depending how you say it, Elisha, mm-hmm. Elisha, and Elijah. And I said, now, look, um, the one thing is these are two separate people that are now in this reading, you know? There's Elijah, and I would say, I would say, Alicia, just to make sure that people know they're two different people. So she gets up and she says, uh, and then Elijah said to Elijah, and I was like, oh my gosh. She went through the whole reading. And then Elijah said to Elijah, and then Elijah did this. And my whole God, my whole Holly was on the, the, these two people. And mm-hmm. I realized that no, no one understood, no understood what the story was about. Anyway. Yeah. So what'd you do? I. I basically said, I, I sort of like reiterated this story. I said, as we just heard, Elijah did this and Alicia did that. Um, there's, all, there's also, there, I'm sure you have all these funny stories about people who mispronounce, yeah. mispronounce things and all that. And oh, yeah. there's, there was a, there's a famous one in the Jesuits where, um, you remember the one where the, the flaming, I'm sure you remember, the flaming 
uh, brazier passes through uh, the, the animal yeah. sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a Jesuit who was reading who said, um, and then the brazier uh, oh, passed Exactly. Oh goodness! So everybody laughed. Well, we could tell he's a feminist. That's right. Uh, they're burning the braziers. They're burning braziers. <laughs> the other one is I. I was in a mass where the the person uh, it was on Good Friday, and I, I I kid you not. And the reading was um, the suffering servant, um, uh-huh. and that he did not shield his face from um, insults and buffets. Oh. <laughs> you know, because it's buffets, yeah, and yeah, I was like, know, uh, yeah, "Oh, okay, the buffets." And you, you could see people looking around, like, "What? Oh, I don't think I don't think I know that part of the, the scripture." Yeah, that's a, that's a different story. <laughs> I right. was doing the triumphal entry, and we had all the kids on the stage a couple years ago, and so Uh-oh. like all the kids are around, and I'm doing the part where <clears throat> uh, Jesus starts shouting, but I kind of slurred my words, and instead of saying "started shouting," I, I said. Um, a different word that uh, that sounds like going to the restroom. You're kidding. And, uh, and on the video, wow. like, you would see like the, the worship team is behind me, the musicians, and you could just see them one turn to the other and go, did he just Wow. And they all start laughing. I was like, wow. Of all times, kids were on the stage when I did that. So it That's, happens to the best well, of us. Well, yeah. I, I, there was a mass I was at. It's actually funny. There was this guy. I don't know if he used the same words of uh, institution. Um, uh, this, is, this is my body. Take this all of you and eat of it. Yeah. You know? Um, so, um, at the end we say, um, you know, blessed are those who are, who are called to the supper, right? That, that's a mm-hmm. line. Uh, do, you, do you have the same line? We don't have that. Yeah. One, so yeah. blessed are those who are called to the supper. <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> this Jesuit said he was very like, like the woman you described, he was really yeah. into it and he wasn't, his English wasn't his first language. And he said, I will never forget this. <laughs> How blessed are we? How privileged are we? How happy are we to be called to this lunch? <laughs> this was like, well, okay, the last, yeah. the last lunch, the last lunch, the last that's lunch. A, that's a different translation. That's than a I'm slightly different translation, to. and it's hard to know. Sometimes you don't, you know, you don't want to laugh, but also it's 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 that's that's a strange situation. I, yeah. I I've been I've been spared. I don't think so far I've made any huge faux pas like that. But yeah. um, well. Now, if you do, the, hopefully you have friends like mine who remind you of it all the time mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, continue to bring it up. Mm-hmm, and that's what friends are for. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so hopefully during this uh, this Advent season that we won't have any of, of those faux pas. Those snap foods. So no, I, I, I really, so that, tell me about your, so your, your tradition doesn't, uh, do, do, does it focus on Advent at all or? Uh, no, to the, to the, I mean, it's pretty extreme. Like there, there are actually some who would have a December 25th service and they wouldn't even talk about Christmas because we don't uh, have in the Bible the date of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a um, wow. It's a it's a pretty bold move to to go there. But we mm-hmm. were um, a, a lot of our traditions identity growing up is what we weren't, and so mm-hmm. as committed as we were to the Bible, we were equally as committed to saying that we're not like so and so. Right. And um, well, I think we've talked yeah. about this before. I think that that over the last fifty years and more. Um, Catholics have learned from Protestants, particularly in terms of scripture. I really believe that in terms of understanding and appreciating scripture. And I think my experience is that Protestants have learned from Catholics in terms of the liturgy and sacraments. And I think that's beautiful. I think both traditions can, you know, that the Reformation, there was this big split. And I think both traditions can learn from one another. I mean, there's a great, one of my favorite scripture professors, I've talked to him 
uh, I've talked about him with you before, Father Dan Harrington, who was editor of the Sacropagina series and really, really holy, 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 holy guy, started off one of his books by saying that he was growing up as an Irish Catholic in Boston, and a Bible salesman came to his, his, his parents' door, and the mother opened the door up, and the guy said, I'm a Bible salesman. And the quote from the mother was, we're Catholics, we don't read the Bible. And shut the door in his face, and this guy became a Bible style scholar. So I think that's yep. that's the extreme. Um, but yeah, both both traditions can learn from one another. Agreed, agreed. And I mean, to be very frank, like the addition of the calendar, the addition of Lent and Advent have been mm -hmm. deeply meaningful to me. Ash Wednesday is mm -hmm. one of my favorite services of the year, mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, I feel like we've we're a whole lot better off when we try to learn from each other instead of competing. Yeah. And I think Advent kind of makes sense because you're getting, you're literally spiritually getting ready for Christmas. Um, and there are, we have the tradition of the Advent wreath. We have first, second, third Sunday of Advent. There are special readings that people know. Um, there's different, there's different traditions for each Sunday. And I think also it's nice for kids too. Kids like the Advent wreath. There's Advent calendars we talked about Yep. and it all, it just kind of leads up and, you know, why not, why not see Christmas as we see Easter, you know, as this time of preparation, we all need to be prepared. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's a lot. I, I would say, I would say to people, I love Advent. I love the Feast of the Nativity. Christmas, I can kind of take or leave because of all that <laughs> cultural stuff. Yeah, I do like presents a lot, though. So that's well, part of the reason. And my, I love how excited my kids get about presents. And so I, I was taking my middle daughter for a walk um, maybe a week ago. It was Sunday night. And I was like, hey, uh, this year Christmas falls on a Sunday. So we have service. She goes, no, dad, you're just pulling. We're not, we don't really have to do church on East or on, on Christmas. It's like, well, it is kind of Jesus' birthday. So I feel like church is not. She goes, well, you can get someone else to fill in for you. Like, no, I'm, we're going to. Now, now, wait, if it weren't on Sunday, would you have a Christmas service? In your parish? No, we would do, we do uh, Christmas Eve service. Oh, Christmas Eve, okay. That's a pretty big deal for us. Yeah. But the uh, the actual Christmas Day, we, we wouldn't do well, typically. Well, let me tell you the best Christmas homily I've ever heard in my entire life. And you, okay. you can steal it and use it. Okay, so write it down. It, it, it was incredible. So I was at a, we call it a family mass. And usually the family mass for Catholics is like 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve, sometimes okay. 2 o'clock, which is a little crazy. But like, yeah, right. And so it's, you know, it's, you know, you, you want to avoid the, we're getting it out of the way syndrome, but look, you got to be respectful of family. So anyway, yeah. it was this family mass at my parish and there was this priest there and it was just a zoo because the family mass means it's all the little kids. And Everyone's in there. Yeah. Everyone. But it's also real concentrated with like little kids and people were mm -hmm. crying and he, he got up and he read the genealogy, right? Um, yeah. From Matthew. Yeah. So we all know that, you know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. And it, and he, at the end, he, I'll never forget this. At the end, he said, and you know, as you know, it's long. He said, yeah. now, why would Father read that long, long reading, especially when there are all these kids here? And he said, it's because in Jesus's family, um, there are lots of, you know, unusual people. You know, there's a prostitute in there. There's King David who did all sorts of things. And he went through some of the, you know, kind of less than savory characters yep. in Jesus's family. And he said, you know, today we're all with our families. And our families are filled with all sorts of people, you know, and you might not get along with people and it might be some division. But out of this family, out of this, out of this line comes something really holy. And so really all of our families are places where we can find holiness and places that are, you know, Jesus's family was just as kind of messed up as yours. And yet something holy came out of it, done, sat down. And I was just like, that was so 
beautiful. And it was, I'll never forget, this was like 20 years ago. And I was like, oh, that was so helpful for people because, you know, they're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, my family's this, I have to do this. I'm angry at my mother-in-law or my father or my kid's doing this. And I'm really, and he really brought it home. And he really just told people, this is the humanity that Jesus came out of. But one of the, I think one of the best, if not the best homily I've ever heard was five minutes too. So there's your, there's your homily for Christmas. There, there it is. There, that's my Christmas service right uh, there. I, I'm okay. I wrote it down. There Perfect. you go. Uh, Isn't that beautiful though? That's, I mean, that's great. I mean, that is the story. I, I feel like that's part of what Matthew's doing is going like, he, he didn't have to include all those. Rahab and yeah, even I mean, there's, David. There's, I mean, like, yeah. I know. He did yeah, a lot of it. It doesn't, isn't uh, Bathsheba referred to as like Uriah's wife in uh-huh. Matthew's gospel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, someone, I don't know if she's in there, but David's certainly in there and Rahab yeah. and all these people. And, and yeah. it, it's just, um, you know, his family tree is like, our family tree, you know, and what a great homily. And the, and you could still hear the people just kind of shifting in their understanding, you know? So yeah. it was really great. Yeah. That's a, uh, a reminder we all need. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was talking this past Sunday about Jacob and Esau and how mm. their, their sibling interactions were less than ideal. <laughs> less than ideal. Right. And, uh, and someone's like, yeah, that's probably a good reminder going into Thanksgiving. And perfect. Yeah. That, that's probably what we all need to Perfect. be reminded that uh, yeah. it's all complicated. Yeah, and also, I always say, like, in Mark, in Mark 3, you know, Jesus' mother and brothers and sister, excuse me, come to um, come from Nazareth to Capernaum to, quote-unquote, arrest or seize him. Yeah. And a lot of Catholics, when I say that, they're like, well, that's not in the Gospels. I was like, yeah, it is. Like, they come to arrest and seize him because they thought he was out of his mind. And, yeah. like, okay, like, we need to deal with this, this kind of, you know, the, 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 how could they possibly have understood everything about Jesus, you know? And so our families are like that too. They're just, they're, they're, they're mixed up sometimes and that's yeah. okay. And, and, and maybe we're more like the siblings of Jesus and the family of Jesus and that we don't fully understand each other just like Jesus wasn't fully understood. Now that's a great insight too. We're, Cause I usually think of us more, well, we're Jesus and people don't understand us, but you're right. That's a great insight that, that yeah. we're probably more like them. And we don't understand sometimes holiness in front of us. Yeah, exactly. but but that line like that 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 they came to one of the Greek translations says arrest him because they thought he was nuts. And then he says, of course, you know what he says. He says, you know, who are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters? Which is a bit of a, a little bit of a re- rejection. I mean, if they're hearing Jesus say, "Who is my?" and then he goes to the people who do the will of God. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we doing? Yes. Are we not doing the will of God? I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty powerful. But there's this new picture of what family looks like, and I think, you know, I, part of the witness of being a a priest is that you see the family of God truly as what Jesus says it is. Like you're doing the will of God, and these people are my family in a way that some of us uh, have the <laughs> comforts of life to uh, obfuscate Jesus' teaching on that. No, and and it's yeah, I. You know, I, I sometimes say, I was talking to another Jesuit in my community about what I was going to ask God when I get up to heaven, hopefully get up to heaven. I mean, what the, the, the two things I want to see are the resurrection. I kind of want to see what it looks like. Like, it has to look yeah. like something. Uh, yeah. The miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Like, what did it actually, yeah. like, what did that look like? But I also, I also want to see the hidden life, you know, between 12 and 30. Like, what was his family like? And what, what was he doing? And who were they, who were they? And who did he interact with? And it's just so fascinating. Yeah, and we, we forget about that time in wow. Jesus's life. Yeah. 12 so to 30. He's a human being and he's, he's working, he's a carpenter and what's he doing and what's he learning and just so interesting. So 
my Jesuit friend said, well, when you get to heaven, you won't care about that stuff. And I was like, no, I think I will. I think I'll still yeah, I still want to I, I still want to see that movie. What is, what was Jesus doing during those years? Yeah. That's a great that's a great question. Yeah. Okay, where I got to get you out of here in a second. But um can you give a blessing uh for those of us as I, I'm going to play this uh Monday the, the the first Monday in Advent. And so hopefully my listeners are hearing this uh a day into Advent. Yeah. Can you give a blessing as they're going into this season? Yeah, so let's just take a moment and be aware of the coming of Christmas and the coming of Christ into our lives in several ways. Uh, Christ has already come uh, as a human being in Bethlehem and lived among us. Uh, Christ will come again uh, at the end of time and also at the end of our lives to meet us and uh, judge us. Uh, But Christ comes to our life in new ways every day. So this season of Advent, um, let us open our hearts to the new ways that God has of of meeting us and just get ready for Christmas um, with a spirit of hope and love and desire. Amen. Amen. Hey, that's great. Thank you so much for the time. That was a wonderful blessing. And uh, it is always a blessing to get to talk to you. So thank you for uh, making time. Luke, it is always a joy to talk to you. You are a great pastor and a great friend and a good Christian. And it really is. And, and I'll say this and, and I hope, uh, you know, you can pass it on to your congregation. Happy Advent. Amen. All right. God bless you as well. Thanks. All right. God bless.